We've been in this series on prayer, and I want to talk today on this Mother's Day about what happens when maybe life doesn't turn out the way that we had hoped, when we don't get what we asked for. I heard a story earlier this week, um, it might be true, about a woman who got a knock on her door from a handyman looking for work, and she wanted to help him out. So she said, all right, there's two gallons of green paint in the back, and there's a porch in the back that needs painting. So he went back there, and he got to work, and he came uh, back to the door a few hours later, a little while later, paint was all over him, and, and she asked him, did you finish painting? And he said, well, yeah, but, but lady, I got to tell you, that's not a Porsche back there, that's a Mercedes. Okay, none of the other services have thought that was very funny either. It's just going to start out with a solid down the fairway dad joke here. Whether it's true or not, it makes a pretty good point. You ever feel that way about prayer? It's like you ask for one thing. You make it really clear. This is the outcome that I'm asking for, God, but you end up not getting what you ask for. Or maybe God answers your prayer, but it's like the timing is totally off. I remember one time we had to fly to Atlanta, where Allie's from, and we had the twins with us. They were two years old at the time. You may know this, that children two and under can fly in your lap for free. What a gift. <laughs> what generosity. Thank you very much, American Airlines. Until you get on the plane and you're like, why did we not buy more tickets? Who, who was the you know, cheap dad that decided this? I mean, we'll, hey, we'll buy right now first class for the twins and we'll stay back here. And our prayer as a young family was very simple, that our kids would fall asleep on the plane. And we prayed and we prayed. And as soon as we sat down, one of our kids had a meltdown. I'm not going to tell you which one. I wouldn't, you know, rat him out that way. Uh, we thought this twin was hungry, and so we gave him one of those amazing little squeeze pouches that are full of the mashed up vegetable medley. They didn't have these when I was growing up, but uh, we gave this particular twin the, the vegetable pouch, and as soon as we opened it up for this twin, what does this twin do? He squeezes the sweet potato and beets all over his clothes, all over the people that are near us in, you know, 17C, and uh, so we take it away, and of course, then he just goes into, like, royal meltdown mode. Now, now now the people next to us and around us, they're all praying as well. Like, please, Lord Jesus, let that kid go to sleep. It gets worse from there. We take off and then there's the ear thing that happens and they're just, now they're both screaming. You know you're in trouble when the flight attendant comes up and says, would you mind if your kids played outside? <laughs> we kept praying doing everything we could to get them to sleep. And what happened on that flight, I kid you not, is what has happened on every single flight we have ever been on with toddlers in the lap, every single time. Our prayers eventually were answered the moment the wheels hit the ground and we landed. They fall asleep. And you're like, why, Lord Jesus? What is it about the landing gear that just kicks in like the melatonin and they're ready to go to sleep? Okay, now it's nap time. And I know, petty example, and sometimes the timing thing, sometimes it's, it's way bigger and it is way more painful. This spring, we've been talking about prayer. One day, his disciples asked Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? It's interesting, there's no record, if you read through the four gospels, there's no record of the disciples ever asking Jesus, would you teach us how to preach? Teach us how to heal, teach us how to build a church. The four Gospels, the only thing they ever asked Jesus to teach them is how to pray. 
And so far in this series, we've looked at how can we actually grow and mature in the practice of prayer? We've talked about the wonder of prayer and the, the, the world-shaking, history-making power of prayer. But what about when it isn't? What about when prayer disappoints or when our prayers are unanswered? There's a lot of pain in that question, and I think a lot of us can relate. I was thinking this week about mom. Um, a few days ago was the anniversary of her death and all the, all the praying and the just begging God to heal her and rescue her and to take away her pain and to turn her life around. And for the longest time, I, I just didn't understand. God, why wouldn't you answer a prayer like that? And I know so many of you have similar stories. Every story uh, that we hear of miraculous healing, of mountain moving, prodigal son returning prayer, maybe in the back of your mind, there's a little voice that's like, yeah, but what about? What about when there wasn't healing? What about when the miracle didn't come through? What about when the child didn't come back home? And so as much as I want to agree with Garth, are some of God's greatest gifts really unanswered prayers? And this brings us today into the Garden of Gethsemane, where even Jesus, the Son of God, suffered the silence of unanswered prayer. The one who turned water into wine and healed the sick and even raised the dead, his prayer went unanswered. So I'd love for you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible with you, it's in the third book in the New Testament, Luke 22. This is the night when Jesus is arrested and before he's crucified, and we'll start in verse 39. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom. Now, we're going to come back to that phrase here in a few moments. To the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Now, just to pause there for a moment, the, the normal posture for a person, uh, a Jewish person in the first century praying, it was standing up with your hands opened like this. But kneeling, kneeling signified a kind of intensity of your pleading before God. Sometimes it's good for us to be on our knees in prayer because our, our, our physical posture can, can help to prepare our hearts. Verse 42, he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And before this night is over, Jesus would be abandoned by everyone, by Peter, by Judas, by his closest friends who couldn't even stay awake in his moment of greatest need. So alone in the garden, Jesus kneels down, as he's done so many times before, and he cries out to God, Father, if you are willing, would you take this cup from me? It was a cup of suffering, of judgment, of death. You know, one of the reasons I continue to be drawn to the God who is revealed to us in the New Testament, one of the reasons I am captured by the person of Jesus are moments like this of such raw emo emotion, unfiltered moments that we see from his life. 
And there is so much that we can learn from Jesus' prayer in the garden. First of all, when his soul was just overwhelmed, Jesus' starting point in prayer was the word Father. In Mark's version of this same moment, Jesus actually prays. He, he uses the word Abba. Abba. Father. It, it, it's like, it, it's a more vulnerable, intimate, tender word than Father. Daddy. The other day I was at my son's uh, lacrosse game. He's nine years old. I mean, he's just growing up so fast. And at the end of the game, I'm on the sidelines. He comes running over to me and he takes his helmet off and his face is all sweaty and he's got the eye black warrior, you know, warrior paint all over his face, smeared everywhere. everywhere. And he comes over to me and, and, and he says to me, he says, Dada, did you see my goal? I said, yeah, buddy, I sure did. And there were some other parents around me. There were some other moms around. And some of them were like, he still calls you Tata. <laughs> and I realized, yeah, like I don't, I don't ever want him to stop calling me Dada. I know that he will someday when he's like 30. <laughs> but I love that childlike, tender connection. And that's how God wants us to come to him. Now, this does not mean that when we go before God, we lose the sense of his glory and his greatness and his power and his strength. So there's also this dynamic that when we pray, we take off our shoes for we are, we are in sacred, standing on holy ground. Which doesn't that make prayer all the more astonishing and mind-blowing that an infinitely holy God would give us intimately unconditional access? The God of the universe says, come to me, and when you do, call me Abba, Dada. In fact, earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a story. It's a parable about a guy who shows up at his friend's house in the middle of the night, and he just starts banging on the door, banging on the door for help. And Jesus says, that's how your heavenly father wants you to come to him in prayer. You can come to him anytime with anything, no matter how desperate you are. No, no other religion teaches that you can go before the God of the universe with that kind of shameless desperation, begging for God to show up. Other religions kind of like, that would be disrespectful, dishonoring to come before a holy God with that kind of shameless ask, which is why I think Jesus also likens prayer to knocking. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But here's where that text actually comes to life. Every verb in that verse, every verb is in the present continuous imperative. Present continuous imperative. In other words, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep, don't stop knocking. Which knocking is kind of a funny thing. I mean, if you've ever thought about knocking the way that I've been thinking about knocking this week, you know, if you, if you knock and keep on knocking until somebody answers the door, it gets annoying, okay? Next time you go to somebody's house, when you're going to grandma's house in about 20 minutes from now, just try knocking the entire time until grandma opens the door. She's not going to be very happy about that because you overknocked. Now, the other thing about knocking is that if you go up to grandma's uh, house and to grandma's door and you just knock once, okay, a single knock is ineffective, right? Ask and keep on asking. 
Seek and keep seeking. Knock and don't stop knocking. Why do you think our heavenly father wants us to keep asking and seeking and knocking to keep coming back to him over and over again? You know, maybe you've heard someone say before, well, I prayed about that once, so that's all it should take, right? Okay, that's God as customer service agent. No, that's not how, that's not how a relationship, that's not how intimacy works. So for example, and it's kind of a loose example, um, if tonight I were to take Allie, my wife, out for a special, you know, romantic dinner. And, and if at some point during the meal, she would, you know, our date, she would ask me, Brian, do you, do you like my dress tonight? Okay, I'll tell you the answer she's not looking for. Well, honey, you wore that dress a few months ago and I already told you that, okay? That not, not a good strategy for Mother's Day or ever in a marriage, Why does God want us to keep on asking over and over and over again? Well, I think for one, it's because parents love repetition. We love it when our children repeat back something we said. We we love to know they're listening, they're engaged, that they actually want to spend time in our presence. I don't just want to hear dada once. I want them to come back to me again and again and again. I wonder if Jesus teaches us to pray like this. Abba, Father, I'm vulnerable. I need help. Because at its heart, prayer is a reminder that we are so not in control. It reminds us of our vulnerability, that that we are not in charge. We We are children who desperately need the help of our Father. And when we pray that way, when we approach God like a needy, vulnerable child over and over again. And this is really going to get to the heart of unanswered prayer. When we approach God in prayer, our heavenly father gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Your heavenly father always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. In other words, he gives us something better. God says, I know you think the answer that you need and the key to your happiness is this thing, but what I'm gonna give you is gonna be even more fulfilling. Or I know you wanna have this thing or you think you need this thing, but if I give it to you, it may actually end up hurting you. And so here's what I'm gonna give you instead, and it is way better. And so we're free to pray to God for whatever it is that's on our mind. It's like a child coming before his loving parent. Just ask, just ask, because it's in the praying, it's in the asking that God, that God begins to change you and to shape you and to change your desires so that you long for what he longs for and for what's best. That's why the practice of prayer, coming before our Father God over and over, not once, but over and over, he is shaping us into the kind of people who want what he wants. Sometimes we think, so often we think we know what we need, or I think I know what that person that I'm praying for needs, but sometimes what God has for them is way better. There's a story about the famous uh, golfer Arnold Palmer, which I don't know, maybe unanswered prayer and golf just go together well. But Arnold Palmer once played a series of rounds in Saudi Arabia, and the king was so impressed that he wanted to give Arnold Palmer a gift. And Palmer just kept saying, it's not necessary. Finally, the king said to him, if you don't receive a gift, I'll be insulted. 
And so Arnold Palmer relented. He said, okay, how about, how about a golf club? So the next day, uh, a messenger from the king showed up at Arnold Palmer's door and, and he delivered to him the title to a 200 acre like trees, lakes, clubhouse. He gave him a private golf club. Okay? Not what he asked for. So much more. We don't always get what we ask for in prayer because God wants to do so much more. Now, having said that, I can just imagine at this point that some of you are thinking, great, that you know, sounds great, but sometimes you pastors have a way of getting up on the stage and you just tell stories that are so hopeful and the endings are always neat and tidy, but what about when they aren't? What about when we cry out to our heavenly father over and over? What about when an entire community kind of links arms and we're all praying for one thing to happen, for one person to overcome that struggle with addiction, one marriage to be healed, one person to beat cancer, and it doesn't work. And healing doesn't come and depression doesn't lift and a grown child continues down that road to ruin. What do we do when we can't see any redemptive purpose in the pain or the unanswered prayer? How do we hold on to God when he seems silent? How can we pray like Jesus in the garden? God, please rescue me from this, but not my will. Yours be done. Two things, and this is what I'll leave you with. The first is this, and it brings us back to that phrase near the beginning of our text, verse 39, as was his custom. In other words, this wasn't the first time Jesus had gone to the Mount of Olives to pray. It was habit, ingrained habit. This is what he did. Jesus built his life on a sacred practice of spending time with his heavenly father. He withdrew from the crowds and the noise of life to pray as was his custom. Here's the thing, you and I, we are creatures of habit. Our habits determine who we become. They give us the strength to do what we cannot do by willpower alone. And one of the things you'll notice in Jesus' life, if you read through the Gospels, there, this pattern that Jesus retreats, he withdraws to pray, and then he re-engages, resolved and strengthened, as was his custom. The ingrained habit of prayer, which strengthens us to face into the trials of life. We hold on to these habits so that when we enter into the garden and when we enter into the periods of silence and darkness, these habits can hold on to us. If you were here last week, we talked about Jonah and his amazing prayer from the belly of the fish. How in this moment, when things couldn't get any worse for Jonah, what did he do? He prayed the Psalms. He prayed the prayers that he had been praying his entire life. Often the prayers we've learned to pray when the day is bright and we sense God's presence and his nearness and his joy and his blessing, these are the prayers that sustain us and hold us as we enter into the dark night. And it's hard to see God at work. But then secondly, and... This is the most important thing to hold on to. We know that God will answer us when we pray because on that terrible day, he did not answer Jesus when he prayed. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane that the cup of suffering, the cup of the cross would be taken from him and yet his request was turned down. Even on the cross, Jesus cries out, why? God, why? And yet he was forsaken. How could that be? 
Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life. I mean, if anybody ever deserved to have their prayers fully and perfectly answered by the Father, it was his perfect son. Sinners deserved, deserve to not have our prayer answered. We who have turned our backs and, and rebelled against God time and again. Jesus was the only person in history who deserved to have his prayers answered because he lived a perfect life in perfect obedience before the Father. And yet his prayer went unanswered. Why? The answer is the gospel. God treated Jesus as we deserve so that when we trust in him, God can treat us as Jesus deserved. That's the gospel. Here's how Tim Keller reflects on this from his book on prayer. Jesus' prayer, Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that he merits. That is why when Christians pray, we have the confidence that we will be heard by God and answered in the wisest way. Maybe not the way we had asked, but he will answer in the wisest, the best way. Earlier, when the disciples asked Jesus for some pointers on prayer, he used this illustration, and it's, it's always kind of irked me. It's one of those, like, why did Jesus say this? Luke 11 he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Answer, a really bad father. Right? Notice, by the way, Jesus didn't talk about mothers here because moms would never do that. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's up with that? Snakes, scorpions, what is Jesus getting at here? And here's what Tell, uh, Keller suggests. There has never been a parent on earth who wants joy for his children more than your heavenly father wants joy for you. There's never been a human mother or a human father who wanted to answer their child's deepest request more than God wants to answer yours. And yet we know that not only is God endlessly loving, he is also holy and just. So how can God shower these blessings down on sinful people who deserve the exact opposite? The answer is that Jesus got the scorpion and the snake so that we would be welcomed to eat at the Father's table. Jesus got the sting and the venom of death so that we could live in the healing realities of his grace and eternal life. In the garden and on the cross, Jesus got the great silence so that we would know that when we cry out, God always listens and always answers so that even when it feels like he isn't, God has promised by the blood of his son, Jesus, he has promised that he is faithful to answer. That answer may not come in the timing or in the way that you had hoped, but he will answer. And he who is able and is far more loving than I could ever be, he will give us so much more. And even the greatest gift of all, and that's eternity with him. So Jesus, we thank you that you were willing because of what you experienced in that garden and on the cross, we know that our heavenly father will always answer when we cry out. And some of us in a room like this, we're asking right now, and we have been waiting to hear, waiting for you to respond. Would you help us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking at your door, trusting that you will answer and you will be faithful to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.